0: Section twenty-seven of Amusement Only. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter John Keeble. Amusement Only by Richard Marsh. By Deputy. A Reminiscence of Travel, Chapter Three: The Coalition. As I was retiring to rest, someone tapped at my bedroom door. In response to my invitation to enter, Mr. Johns came in. Without any preamble, he plunged at once into the purport of his presence in my chamber at that hour of the night, or rather morning. I have come, Mr. Greenall, to ask you to lend me five hundred rupees. I turned, looked at him. He met my glance without showing any signs of discomposure. You have come to what? He repeated his remark, quite as though it were a matter of course, to ask if you will lend me five hundred rupees. I don't know if you are in earnest, Mr. Johns. If you are, I would remark first that I am not a money-lender, and second that you are a complete stranger to me. I want the money to stake in my match with Mr. Colson indeed is that so then that is an added reason why i should decline to lend it to you in my opinion mr johns your chances of success in that match are to say the least of it remote look here mr greenall i am the last man in the world to wish to make myself offensive but if we can understand each other i think that you and i might do each other a good turn i know all about how you have been treated by the fellows here I know how they've all been taking pop-shots at you. From what I hear, they've made you look like the biggest all-round muff that ever left his mammy. I dare say it's cost you something, too. I did not altogether appreciate this gentleman's free-and-easy style of conversation, but to a certain extent I, so to speak, dissembled i do not know what warrant you have mr johns for your remarks and in any case i fail to see what business it is of yours it's this way if you like you can be even with all the lot of them and more than even how by lending you five hundred rupees and letting you have as you put it a pop-shot at me with the rest of them thank you mr johns by the way i fancy i've heard of some personal persons taking pop-shots at you I think i did hear that you came here to make a fortune did you make it mr johns no i didn't hang em like you i owe them one and i mean to pay them with compound interest and if you like to say the word i'll pay them that little lot you owe them too look here mr greenle i don't mind owning that a keener lot of gentlemen than the gentlemen here i don't think i've ever had to do with i won't say they robbed me but they certainly cut me up into very nice little pieces, and they handed me around. I've seldom seen anything of the kind which was better done. But never mind, my turn's coming. I'm not fond of bragging, quite the other way. If it wasn't that I was in a hole, I wouldn't say a word. But it is the simple truth that all the things at which these fellows think they're dabsters, I'm as far ahead of them as they're ahead of you. No offence intended. You can take my word for it that I know what I'm talking about. It doesn't follow because just once in a way they happen to muck up my book that I'm flat. As for being able to give Colson four hundred out of five hundred at billiards, if I choose and I shall choose, he's simply bound to lose. I don't mean to say that I'm a John Roberts because I'm not, but I do know how to play and that in a sense which colson hasn't even begun to understand i've heard that mr colson hasn't behaved over well to you i thought you'd like to see him taken down a peg or two i should i should have liked to have seen more than one of them taken down a peg or two though i said nothing of that to mr johns how came you to match yourself mr johns when you were aware that you were not in possession of the required stakes I took it for granted that I should get the stakes from you. Mr. Johns was frank at any rate. From me? What claim do you suppose yourself have on me? No claim. But you see, sir, they've had me. And they've had you. They've had both of us. In fact, pretty smartly. And I thought you might like to be even with some of them. By deputy. By deputy. If it was workable, that was not a bad idea. I felt that I should like to be even with some of them, beginning, say, with Mr. Colson, how that man had squelched me beneath his elephantine foot, the brute, even, as it were, by deputy. What guarantee have I that you will not lose my money, as you have already lost your own? If we get up early, we shall have the billiard-room all to ourselves. If you like, I will give you some idea of what I can do upon a billiard-table." We did get up early. We did have the billiard-room all to ourselves, and Mr. Johns did give me some idea of what he could do upon a billiard-table. For one thing, he got on the spot, and he stopped there. He continued to put the red down, without once missing, until the marker appeared. When the marker did appear, we thought that perhaps the proceedings had better cease. If I can trust my memory, before the proceedings cease, Mr. Johns had put the red down something like two hundred times in succession. I thought that was good enough, even for Mr. Colson. I agreed to advance the necessary number of rupees. The match came off. It was a beautiful match. The room was crowded to overflowing. Mr. Johns had managed to back himself into a very fair amount even I, in my small way, had managed to back him too. But there was not so much readiness shown to support the local champion as I had expected. They were keen were the men of Nugger, I fancied that already they had begun to smell a rat. And not only so, they were always willing to make a bet, but on that particular occasion they were almost equally willing to see Mr. Colson come to grief. I think that, in those parts, Mr. Colson was not so popular as he deserved to be. I verily believe that there were some who objected to him almost as much as I did. Poor Mr. Colson. He was painfully nervous. His nervousness prevented his showing even his usual form. He had made fifteen, when Mr. Johns, getting on the spot, stayed there. He ran out without once putting down his cue. Nothing like it had ever been seen before in armidnagar when the marker notified the fact that Mr. Johns had completed his fifth hundred, Mr. Colson was for a moment speechless. He seemed unable to realize that the thing was so. It's a—it's a something swindle. Beg your pardon, Mr. Colson. It's a what? Mr. Colson's tone was loud and threatening. Mr. Johns' tone was quiet and almost indifferent. Yet Mr. Colson did not seem to altogether like it. He began to bluster. You did not tell me that you were a professional. No, I did not tell you that I was a professional. You didn't play the other night as you played today. It looks to me uncommonly like a put-up thing. It looks to you like a put-up thing, does it, Mr. Colson? Well, I'll give you a chance of showing your professional slide. I believe you can drive. Drive? Mr. Colson looked at the little man as if he would like to eat him. "'I'm the finest whip in India.' "'Indeed, is that so? "'Well, I'll drive you either four or eight in hand "'for a thousand rupees a side, "'although you are the finest whip in India.' "'Mr. Colson snapped at his offer "'before it was fairly out of his mouth, "'and I felt that Mr. Johns was going a little too far. "'It was one thing to match him at billiards, "'another thing to match him at driving.' There, Mr. Colson was on his native heath. When I was alone with Mr. Johns, I told him so. I don't know if you're aware, Mr. Johns, that Mr. Colson really is a first rate whip. I am informed that it was his magnificent driving which first attracted the Rajah's attention. Mr. Johns did not exhibit much appearance of concern. I guess I'll fix him anyhow. I haven't driven a stage over some of the worst country in the western states of america for nothing i'll back myself to drive a coach and four along a wall just wide enough to hold the wheels and i'll take you as a passenger if you like to come thank you mr johns my tastes do not incline that way don't you worry mr greenall i mean to take on the whole lot of them, one after the other and show them a thing or two all round these gentlemen here fancy they know a little but we'll be more than even with them before we've done the driving match came off i do not know how they manage similar affairs in england i have sometimes wondered but i am under the impression that they are not managed on the lines on which they managed that driving match in ahmednagar the way in which they managed it was this mr colson was to drive upon the monday mr johns upon the wednesday Each was to drive the same team, eight in hand. The horses, by the way, came out of the Rajah's stables. The course was to be up and down the streets of Amidnagar, and then for a certain distance outside the city. The judges occupied the front of the coach. I had a seat amongst the insignificant people at the back. On the whole, I was content to sit behind. Proceedings in the streets of Ahmednagar were distinctly exciting, almost too exciting, I felt, for me. Those streets were very narrow, and they were blocked with traffic. Be it understood, Mr. Colson and Mr. Johns, each with his eight horses and a coach-load of passengers, went down those streets at full speed, as if they had been fifty yards wide, and as if there had not been a soul in sight what damages were done, and what was the list of the killed and wounded, I have never been informed. I never quite realised what it meant to belong to a subject race till then. It appeared to me that in the eyes of my companions, a native had, as a matter of course, no rights at all. We drove over whole streets full of them, in style. My heart was in my mouth most of the time. We dashed around impossible corners, shaking native tenements to their foundations, but we kept ourselves alive somehow. The peaceful pedestrians were slain. I am no judge of coachmanship, of such coachmanship as that at any rate. Those who were judges, without a dissenting voice, awarded the palm to Mr. Johns, and in consequence it was said. Mr. Colson entered himself as a candidate for delirium tremens. He was a dreadful man. It seemed as if Mr. Johns was prepared to match himself against the men of Ahmednagar at exactly those things at which each man fancied he was strongest. That is what he did do. He challenged any one of them to meet him at driving or at billiards and when his challenge, for what seemed to me to be sufficient reasons, met with no response, he challenged anyone to ride him. The challenge was taken up, but he beat all takers. He had a way with a horse which seemed little else than magical. A horse would jump six feet for him, when apparently it would not jump six inches for any other man in Armidnugger. I don't know how it was, but so it was. I know nothing of Mr. Johns beyond what I am writing. I never heard his story, nor how it was that a man of genius—he was a man of genius—came to find himself a broken-down small bookmaker in that little town up-country. Perhaps he was another exemplification of the fact that only mediocrity succeeds. I know that I was more than even with the men of Ahmednagar, by deputy. The band played to them as it had played to me. He made them face the music, and there was not one of them who did not leave his scalp upon the ground. My belt was adorned with trophies by Decity, for Mr. Johns had beaten the men of Nugger, as they had beaten me, at riding, and at driving, and at billiards. He took them on at shooting, and so to speak he shot their heads off, He showed them that in the presence of this man they were as nothing and less than nothing. He even challenged Mr. Tebb to smash glass balls. He fixed the point from which they were to fire at an abnormal distance, and if I remember rightly he beat Mr. Tebb by about a score. After he had annihilated that presumptuous young vagabond, Mr. Johns informed me that shooting at glass balls really was not shooting. I was quite prepared to admit it. He said that it was only a trick. When you had once mastered the trick, it was impossible to miss. Perhaps I have never fired at glass balls since then, so I have no reason to suppose that I have mastered the trick. When I do again fire at glass balls, I am inclined to think that I shall not experience the slightest difficulty in missing every one of them. End of chapter 3 Of by Deputy Recording by Peter John Keeble Nottingham, United Kingdom